Welcome, everyone. I am Bob Warsawalker, the director of the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena. We have a personal story from someone deeply affected by that issue. And finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. This month, we're going to talk with our past award winners of the Respect Life Award in different areas of pro-life work. This week, we're talking with our 2019 winner, Mary Ann Boyd. Hello, Marianne. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Well, Marianne, I know that one of the primary things you did in your time when you were working here at the Archdiocese of Cincinnati was establishing Project Rachel in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. Why don't you tell me a little bit, go back to the beginning, right? Tell us, what did you learn? Why did you know that this needed to happen? And how did you make that happen? The reason I knew or thought that it needed to happen was because we kept getting inquiries about what our post-abortion healing ministry was like. And we did not have an official post-abortion ministry. We had some priests that were able to be referred to. Other than that, we did not have any kind of a formal setup as far as ministry. And at the time, there was a directory being set up within the Pregnancy Help Centers Network that was going to be available to all those that were interested in different areas of help within the pro-life arena. And one of the areas was post-abortion ministry. So in speaking with the director of our family life office, Dan Roche, we worked on perhaps establishing an actual ministry within our own archdiocese. And so we looked into it. And the thing that we really wanted to have was the ability to be contacted by phone because of this directory that was going out. But we did not want it to be going through our call center. Right. The regular phone line of the archdiocese, right. So I put a proposal together and it went to the directors and it was approved. And so then we got a private phone number that came directly into my office and I was the only one that answered it. And that was very purposeful so that it was a confidential helpline. And that was in 1994. And that's how we really established the Project Rachel ministry. The ministry had already been established in 1984 in Milwaukee by Vicki Thorne. And so I had done a lot of research on it and knew what the ministry was about and what we needed to do to get it up and running. From that time on, when it was approved and we got the phone, we held an information night and that's what we called it. It was not for any particular group. It was open to anybody who was interested in information about the ministry. And we were surprised how many people, maybe 40, 45 people came that night. And it was a combination of people. There were counselors, there were priests, there were women who were post-abortive, and there were pastoral associates, there were DREs, And a young woman from Louisville at the time came and spoke on behalf of her own experience in post-abortion ministry 
she had had an abortion when she was young and looked for some healing. So she came and spoke. And so she was our introduction, basically, within our own archdiocese. At that meeting, there were a couple people who came up afterwards and offered their services, such as we had a graphic designer, we had a copywriter, and they were two women that were very interested in helping to develop materials that we could make available to parishes. So again, we set up another meeting and people that were interested or offered their services came to that meeting. And the director and I met with them and that's how our materials first got started. And as it turned out, both of those women were themselves post-abortive. And so they were very interested in the materials being set up in such a way that they were not distinctive if they were in the back of church that would say anything on them about a post-abortive woman, post-abortion healing, abortion healing. They wanted to, to speak to women who had been in their shoes, but not be obvious to other people. In fact, we still use those brochures today. And the wording that they used on it was, I made a secret choice that became a a secret burden. From that point on, an advisory board was developed and began to meet. And one of the things that had been set up by other Project Rachel ministries, they had support groups and they had retreats. Well, we had never done those, but we did the first support group the fall of 1994, and we did the first retreat that year also. And I think we had five women on our first retreat, and we had a priest that came for the weekend. And it, it grew from there. And our materials for the support groups and also for the retreat, the retreat especially came from a Jesuit priest out of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. And the support group was developed by two, actually three women who were in the lay pastoral ministry program, and they were all post-abortive. And they used materials from other Project Rachel support groups and developed the one as their project for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. I guess I was like their mentor through that. So we met every week until their project was complete. And so it was a real learning experience for me too, because my background is nursing and I had taught nursing, but I had never worked in any kind of post-abortion or any kind of abortion ministry before. So if I can interrupt for a second, all of this happened in 1994. So having this initial meeting, getting the phone operational and then having your first retreat all happened in 1994. What was the time frame between deciding we should try to have a retreat and putting on that retreat? How quickly did you put that together? Interestingly enough, the meeting, the first meeting gathering was in the spring of 1994. Okay. And the support group was started in the fall and the retreat was that fall also, but like I said we used the format from the, the priest in Milwaukee. And to be real honest, we weren't sure how it was going to go, but we went to Milford Spiritual Center and they provided us with any support that we needed. 
So we had a chapel at our disposal. We had a priest that was willing to be with us for the weekend. At the time, we had people that would come in and talk about God's unconditional love, talk about God's mercy, those topics that are still part of the retreat today. After that retreat, the women felt very grateful that they had a weekend together, that there was clergy there, they were able to share stories, and that was a big part of it. We learned that from the support group, the importance of sharing stories, their bonding, and they had an opportunity to cry, to laugh, to spend time together. And so it grew from there. And we decided that it probably was best if we had two retreats every year and did support groups as needed, because the support groups run for eight weeks. We did them in Cincinnati and we did them in the Dayton North area. And we always had two facilitators. One of the facilitators was a post-abortive woman and one was non-post-abortive. So at the time, I was basically the only non-post-abortive person that was working with them. But with time, we got volunteers that wanted to help and that they were not post-abortive, but they wanted to help with the ministry. And so we had people that would come in, go through the whole process at least twice before they discerned their own part of the ministry. Vicki Thorne always said that you needed to have two people, the woman who was sharing her story so that the women understood and walked with her on her journey, and also someone there that would back her up. Yes, women are on this journey many times, no matter how many times they tell their stories. It's a story that can lead to another aspect of their own needs and healing. And so that was the whole purpose of doing it. And then some of the help came from Catholic charities, and some of the counselors were interested in helping in the support groups. So I think now the post-abortive women who have gone through the retreat process are much more involved now. But that first retreat, obviously, you didn't have that. So who was running this first retreat? You and who else did you recruit for that? It was basically myself and the, the priest who was okay. on board with us that weekend. Was running the retreat. Okay. And we had other people from within the archdiocese that different departments that came in and gave presentations basically on mm-hmm. God's unconditional love and mercy. But the thing was, as we developed what the women decided, they wanted to look at a little bit different model. And instead of somebody coming in because they weren't comfortable with that from a confidentiality standpoint, we look at the model of a witness to their own stories. And so the women decided then that on their own journey, they could share their stories. And it was a point of bonding with the other women that came for the weekend. So any stories you want to share of the, of the history of your work with it that, that you could share, obviously, just about how successful this is, if you want to use that word, or how important this work is, right, and how effective it is to help women, particularly who have been impacted by abortion, to heal? How I would start on that is to just say that it was interesting, the phone calls, first of all, that I would get from women who would they read an article maybe in the Catholic Telegraph or they heard about it in church and they would call and say, I've never told anyone before, but I had an abortion when I was 19. I never thought I was still welcome in church. Right. And I'm learning that now I can 
come to the ministry. I can go to a priest. I can be forgiven for what has occurred. And there were so many stories like that, so much hope that they got from understanding that as church, we are called to be reconcilers. And I remember Bishop Modell, he always would say to me, don't forget, we're all called to be reconcilers, not just clergy, not just me as a bishop, but all of us. The saddest part for me was the number of women that told me that they had been told that it was the unforgivable sin. Women lived with that thinking that they never could come back to church. And the other thing that they were concerned about is that in church, they always heard about the horrors of abortion, and they already knew that. But what they didn't hear about most of the time from the pulpit was that there was an avenue of healing. So a good part of Project Rachel Ministry is also outreach to priests, to the seminary, to help educate them on, hey, When you talk about abortion, don't forget that we are primarily a church of healing and forgiveness, right? And we are to welcome everyone, regardless of what is in their past. Were you moving in that direction right away? I know we've done it recently, but I'm sure you did things back then as well to help bring priests together and educate them on how to talk to women or how to talk to your congregations about abortion. When did that get started? That got started through the advisory board that was set up. Of course, there were a number of clergy on that board, and we had a psychologist, we had a nun who was a counselor, we had a couple women, and we had a couple priests who were on that board and were connected with the FNAM. And so they said, you know, in order for this to ever be totally effective, the priest had to be educated. In the beginning, we had a couple priestly formation days that Vicki Thorne came in from USCCB and Father Blair Rom. He was a psychologist and he worked with the Project Rachel Ministry through the bishops. And so we did a number of training days, not just for clergy, but also for pastoral associates and others who were involved in any kind of healing ministry, such as in uh, hospice care. One of the women, I happened to know her, and uh, when she came that day, she said to me, I have no idea why I am. they sent me here. And I said, well, maybe after you hear what is being said and, and the importance of this ministry, maybe it will make some sense. She was a social worker. About two weeks later, I got a call from her, and she said, all I want to say is I so apologize I was kind of in an attack mode when I came to the conference that day. But she said when she got back, she had been working with a woman who was in the process of dying. And she said, no matter what I said, nothing ever touched her until after she was at that conference. And she said something that was said that day, I was able to share with her. And she said she died like two days later, and we were able to go through that whole healing process with her, and she was able to be forgiven. She found peace. There was a lot of outreach. We always went to the Athenaeum in the fall and talked to the third-year seminarians. That's still going on today, and that was a very important couple hours to spend with the seminarians because it helped them to 
see the importance of the reconciliation and the pain that so many had for a long time. Their pain, some of them, you know, they had abortions when they were 17. And when they came to Project Rachel, they were in their 40s. You're right. They're still doing that today. And this during this COVID year, the, the fall of 2020, when we went to the seminary to do our Project Rachel training, we came there. Uh, it was done by video conference. That's the way we did it. But nonetheless, we, we made it happen. I just want to say, too, that the women of Project Rachel who are so willing to donate and volunteer their time because they know what a journey it is and the importance for women and men to have support on that journey. The ministry would not be without them. And they find themselves being criticized a lot. I just want to give them due respect for how much courage it takes in their willingness, in their own healing to extend it to others. They're grateful for that being made possible to them. I can tell you, Marianne, it's absolutely right. This ministry would not be able to function without the volunteers that, that help run run the retreats and everything that they do. And we are so much more blessed here in this archdiocese because of what it is that they do to help continue this ministry. Before we move on real quick, I'll show on the screen and let people know if people want to learn a little bit more about Project Rachel, you can find it at catholicaoc.org slash Project Rachel. Then that will take you to the current website. You can read up on some of you can find the dates of the upcoming retreats or the upcoming support groups right there at the top. There's a donate here button as well. If you want to offer your support, what that your donation would cover, it would help people to be able to afford those retreats better is what it would go to scholarships for retreats or help in buying advertising and things like that to get the word out about what it is that Project Rachel does. So just know that you can go to the website and find that there as well. Okay, Marianne. So in addition to that big piece of establishing Project Rachel here in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati and the great, wonderful growth that you did to help bring healing to so many people, but I know that you also help established or were around when we were first getting, for example, the, the pregnancy care center coalitions here going on in the archdiocese, right? So tell us a little bit about that history that happened. That pretty much was established as soon as I came on board because there was a group of directors who wanted to meet on a regular basis, but it wasn't working out because they were switching meeting leaders and each time. And so they felt that it wasn't working out, but they wanted to get together in order to support one another as opposed to being in opposition to one another. And so they came and spoke to our, the director, Dan Roche at the time, and he said that we would take the lead in setting up a network of the pregnancy help centers and meet on a regular basis, which we did. So he asked me to facilitate that and we started meeting in the greater Cincinnati area and then the Dayton and North area. So we met every two months and in time developed policies and a constitution bylaws, things to operate by so that all the centers were on board with what they would do and not do because one center felt that their reputation a lot of times depended on what some of the other centers were doing. It was early on in some of the centers being developed. And so then also that the archdiocese provided 
a volunteer training day each year for the volunteers in the pregnancy help centers. So not only did we facilitate that, but we took care of the financial aspects of that and it made it available to all the volunteers to come for the day. And we brought different people in that were pretty much uh, on the basis of a, a national groups that would help train the volunteers to be better volunteers within the pregnancy help centers. I worked within that network from 1988 until I left. And it was good because then we knew how the centers were all functioning. And then the priest, when they were asked for help, they knew if the center belonged to the coalition, then they knew how they operated and it was operating within our Catholic teaching. And part of that more specifically means that they don't refer to abortions. They don't hand out birth control as a solution to that. Those are some of the issues that are related to what you're talking about. We still have those meetings today. We still have those training days. We did cancel our 2020 training day, the whole COVID thing, but we had it in 2019 and we have it scheduled for 2021 as well. But 2020 was probably the first time we had to cancel that since it started. So that work carries on to the present day. Marianne, I think you wanted to mention real quick before we go, the Together in Christ initiative that happened a few years ago. I did because it was a very important opportunity for me. Together in Christ was such a a wonderful part of the archdiocese in that it invited parishioners to be part of hearing the stories, which always to me was a way of people understanding what we were dealing with. And the stories were from across different life issues. And that program that was put together, the women from Project Rachel were invited to come and speak. We had tables of, I believe it was eight or 10 at each table. And interspersed in those groups would be someone from prison ministry, someone from immigration, someone from Project Rachel. And so each one of them had an opportunity to tell their stories. It was such a meaningful opportunity. And the women felt really heard because church was open to them. They were invited to healing. And so then they heard the other stories and they they all understood the connectedness of these life issues. It was a really beautiful and humbling experience for the times that we participated or were able to participate in that. Right. I think for people who aren't familiar with it together in Christ, what it was, it was an opportunity for people, particular people who may be, and it's great if if your passion is for a particular area and that's what you have time to focus on, that's terrific. So one person might be really passionate about abortion. Somebody else might be really passionate about farm ministry. Someone might be passionate about immigration. We bring people in to tell their personal stories of being infected by that issue. And then the people around the table, a small group, like you said, eight to 10, would have a chance to hear some stories. Then they would be able to see how it is that, first of all, you can be touched by that personal story. Realize that the church is bigger, that our ministry is bigger than the one area that you might be most familiar with. And to help bring people together and realize the great ministry that happens outside of their awareness, outside of their work that they're doing, and just kind of build these bridges and this awareness. And uh, it was the first time, as you said, that the Project Rachel women were officially invited to share their witness in some kind of an archdiocesan event. 
with parishes. So it was a beautiful thing, bringing people together uh, at the table. The only other thing I would say is that the whole experience of the Respect Life Ministry and specifically Project Rachel was the gift that I got as a result of it for my own spiritual journey. I know I will never forget the women and their courage and the holiness that they have begun to realize about themselves that Christ has given them back, that they are still able to do good and to be holy people. You know, I think Pope Francis says it so well that he calls us all to recognize our being a holy person and our gifts. And they're not extraordinary things. They're simple, ordinary things that we do every day. And I'm grateful for that. And that is so true. It is not only that Jesus Christ offers forgiveness and healing to these women, but it's also very true that they have so much to offer to the church. They are a gift to us. So that is an incredibly important thing to remember as well. And you, Marianne, are a gift to our church as well. All right. Well, thank you so much, Marianne, for talking with us today, for sharing your story on the founding of Project Rachel, some of the other work that had to do with the Pregnancy Care Center Coalition, the Catherine Christ Initiative, and the great work that you've done here in this Archdiocese for Life. So thanks for spending time with us today. Thank you, Bob, for asking me to share with how things began with the Project Rachel Ministry and how the Respect Life program over time has evolved within our own archdiocese. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in on this episode of our Being Pro-Life series. Head to the website to view the resources talked about in this episode at www.catholicaoc.org slash Pro Life. Thank you again for joining us today. I look forward to being with you next time 